Right, you got your Bibles. The last week I spoke about that we're in a time of preparation. Are we all good? Excellent. Are you ready to listen? Okay, I want you to tell somebody it's also my time. It's also my time. I said to you last week, whatever happens to me happens to you. If more oil is poured on my head, more oil is poured on you. If I gain more grace from God, you gain more grace from God. Amen? So that's one of the reasons why you need to continually pray for your pastor, pray for your leader, pray that he'll be blessed. Don't start going, hey, he drives a Tuig. Just go, oh, shame, he drives a Tuig. He should be driving something else (laughs) or something. I mean, you know, whatever. But pray for his blessing because we're commemorating the 40 days of transition, 40 days of preparation, 40 days that led up to a whole new beginning. You know, one of the reasons why Jesus appeared, let me just talk about the 40 days. And then from Ascension, which we'll remember on Thursday, it was another 10 days until the Holy Spirit fell. And 10 days, the period 10, the number 10 is significant because it can mean a transfer of responsibility, one of its meanings. And so there was coming on the disciples a transfer of responsibility. Remember we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, you know, in my former book, O Excellent Theophilus, I began to, you know, write about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He only began it. We got to finish it. And so on the day of Pentecost, with the commission that he gave them at the time of his ascension, when the Holy Spirit fell, what he was doing was he was saying, the responsibility is now transferred to you. You speak the word. You lay hands on the sick and you preach the gospel and lead people to Jesus. You baptize them in water. And so, you know, it was something Jesus already began to do early in his ministry, but he transferred the weight of responsibility of the extension of the kingdom onto us with the promise that I will be in you, I will empower you, I will be alongside you, and I will work with you. Amen? Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but that's really awesome news. Amen? I mean, that gives you such identity. That gives you such a sense of purpose because it's not going to happen without you. He's not going to do it again. He's not going to leave heaven again. He's not going to come in the flesh again. He is now in the flesh in you and I. Amen? And so his works are now being done by us. So it's an incredible period that we are celebrating, the period of preparation. And one of the very practical reasons for Jesus appearing over that period of 40 days, giving undeniable proof and evidence that he was very much alive. He did miracles during that time. You know, John 21 tells us all the other things Jesus did, you know, if they were written in books, maybe there wouldn't be room enough in earth to contain the books. So over that period of 40 days, he did stuff. He did things. People were healed. He gave convincing proofs and evidence. But you know, one of the very practical reasons why Jesus appeared to the disciples over the period of 40 days was this. He wanted to show them that he was A, very much alive, and he was anticipating Pentecost because what he was doing is he was transitioning them. And I want you to hear this quite clearly, lock it into those intelligent brains of yours because you come to ACF, amen, is this. He began to show them, though you cannot see me, I am alive and I'm real and I can do the things that I said I can do because he was transitioning them to relate to him, not as a physical Jesus, but as a spiritual Jesus. He was transitioning them to move away from, you know, going by sight 
to going by faith. Amen? And so that period was extremely important for the disciples because they learned how to relate to Jesus exactly the way we relate to him now. I mean, you know, we would all have probably said sometime in our lives, it would have been awesome to be one of the disciples, you know, to walk around with Jesus and be next to Jesus. But Jesus said this in John 16. I think it's in verse 7. He says, it's for your good. And one translation says, it's to your advantage that I go. You mean, how could it be so good, you know, to lose the physical Jesus and be around with him and see his smile and hear his voice and, and to see the miracles and, and be with him? You know, John had the rare privilege of being able to say, we were with him. We touched him. You know, concerning the word of life, we touched him. That's the relationship that we have. But the thing is, it changed. And Jesus was transitioning them right throughout that period to start to relate from him, not from a physical point of view, but from a spiritual point of view. And that's why Paul says, we knew him like this, you know, once. But we regard him not from an earthly point of view any longer. Because our regard to him and our relating to him is one of faith because he is now spirit. Is that okay? In a glorified body. And so Jesus was bringing us through as well to that point. You know that this whole period from the crucifixion, from Easter to Pentecost, signaled some amazing changes. There were significant changes. We moved out of what was called the old covenant, and we moved into what is called the new covenant. Isn't that awesome? And so right throughout Isaiah, Several places, not just one place. Behold, I do a new thing. I do a new thing. The new thing was Jesus. The new thing in particular was the Spirit. Behold, I do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And he says, forget the former things. And I know sometimes we preach brilliant messages, and it's right, and it's not wrong, but it's not true to the interpretation of those particular scriptures. You know, when we say, listen, forget the former things. God's doing all things new. The wonderful thing is because he moved us from the old covenant to the new, he can constantly make things new for us. Amen? But biblically looking at it, the new thing was the new covenant, the new testament. So I want to just take a step out, and I know a lot of people talk about the new covenant. I'm going to do more study on it, but I believe the old covenant was a covenant, and the new was a testament. And there's significant differences between a covenant and a testament. Is that okay? A testament is a will. It's not an agreement between two parties. In other words, if you have a mom and a dad, and they've got their last will and testament, In other words, they will it to you. They bequeath it to you using old English language. In other words, it's a testament. And so when they die, all you got to do is pitch up in front of the executor of the estate and you get the inheritance. Now that's very different to a contractual obligation of if you do this, I will do that. Is that okay? And so, you know, Paul tells us in the case of a testator, it's important to prove the death of the testator. But Jesus was the testator. He died, amen, and he left us a testament. And all we have to do is pitch up by faith in his finished work and we get the inheritance. Amen. And so things became new. I mean, it's so incredible. Suddenly the priesthood became new. I mentioned last week that in 1 Corinthians 15, that where it says, 
Jesus appeared to Cephas. It's actually could possibly be Caiaphas. Jesus appeared to the high priest Caiaphas. But you know, in Matthew 16, when Jesus changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter to Cephas, it's also the same root word as the Hebrew, K-E-F-A, and basically that root word means Peter or, or Petros. But when you change it from Hebrew to Greek, it's E-S or O-S or A-S, so it's an A-S, so when Jesus said, you're no longer Simon, you're Cephas, basically what Jesus was saying is that you represent the new order of priests that are coming. Come on, you didn't know that. You didn't know that. It took me 38 years of study to know that. Okay, so just act surprised. Go like, wow, Pastor John. Woo, that's an amazing revelation. Come on, you didn't know that. So when Jesus appointed Peter and called him Cephas, he was basically saying, you represent the new order of priests. And now we are kings and priests unto God. We are a royal priesthood. Amen. I mean, that's really magnificent. Don't you think so? And so everything, everything, everything changed. The temple changed. It's not that building in Jerusalem that they're hoping to rebuild. Here is the temple. Jesus said it. Tear this temple down. And after three days, I will build it. And they were going like, what? It took 46 years for Herod to rebuild this temple. And Jesus was talking about his body. That after three days, he would build his body. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.20 that we are built together. First Peter 2 as well. Living stones in which God dwells by his spirit. You see, I'm so excited. I can hardly keep up with myself. I'm a bit like Shireen, you know. She gets excited when she does the announcements and stumbles over her words. Change of priesthood. Change of the temple. Listen, Mount Zion now, for as far as you know, Bible students, it's no longer the mount in Israel where Jerusalem is built because we are now Mount Zion. Yeah. We are the city set on the hill. We are the new Jerusalem. We are the true Jew. Even Paul said himself in Romans chapter 4, the real Jew is not the one that's been circumcised. The real Jew is the one that believes. Amen. So we changed from law to grace. We changed from flesh to spirit. There was things that changed from works to faith. The whole world changed. The whole world. The world changed. Peter shows us in 2 Peter 3, there were actually three worlds. That's why in Hebrews, when it says the one who made the worlds, a lot of people go and read that and go and look at it and say, well, there must be other worlds like this with other people sitting on it. But they're completely looking at it wrong. Yeah. There's no other planet with people on it. It's one. Right. All of that exists for this. For you and I. Amen. But the worlds that he created was, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, there was the first world which was destroyed by a flood, takes us up to Noah. So from Adam to Noah was a world. Is that okay? And so from Noah all the way through until Jesus died was the second world. That's why the Bible tells us that he was crucified once for all at the end of the world. Another Greek word, end of the age. Is that okay? And then Peter says this, and this present world is being reserved for fire. It will be judged by fire, which was the world from Noah all the way through Moses, all the way up until Jesus died, was the second world. But then it went on a little bit until AD 70, when Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed literally by fire. Now, some preachers preach that it speaks of one day the world is going to be destroyed by atomic warfare, you know, atom bombs. That's not what the Bible teaches. 
and they refer to that verse. And the third world is from after the destruction of Jerusalem till now. And Peter says, so this is a new heaven and a new earth, and it's the home of the righteous. Woo! Isn't that awesome? So how long is this world going to last, the third world? The first world came to end by a flood, but the world cosmos, the planet, still remained. The second world was the Jewish and the then known Roman world. That all came to an end and Jerusalem was destroyed by fire. And uh, the third world, the third world, this world that we're living in, the home of the righteous, how long is this world going to last? It's going to last forever and ever and ever. Pastor John, do you have a verse? I'm glad you asked me. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. Verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask, think, or imagine, to him be glory in the church through all generations by Christ Jesus, now and forever. Then it says, verse 21, verse 21, World without end. That's Ephesians 3, 21. So there's a new world, a new heaven, a new earth, and there's a new sun, there's a new moon, there's new stars. That's why Revelations tells us that the previous stars fell, the moon turned to blood, the sun was darkened. It's all in the book, it's all in the book. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3, you shine like stars in the universe. Is that okay? And that's why in Revelations and Isaiah, it says there will be no need for the sun, talking about a physical sun, because the lamb will be the light. In other words, there's going to be new governing principles to this world, and there's going to be new powers in place. There's new principles that govern the world. The sun will be Jesus. The moon will be the church. The stars will be individual Christians shining in the dark universe. Is that okay? Come on, you didn't know that. I didn't know it for 38 years. I didn't know it. Come on, say, what do you say? Yeah, Pastor John, that's really amazing. Bless you, bless you. Thank you. Keep studying. Awesome. Tell us. Okay, write the book like Andre says. So new heavens, new earth. No longer will there be drought and famine because everywhere the New Testament era is prophesied to be an era full of water. Much rain, rivers flowing, and um, lush vegetation because what Isaiah was prophesying and the other prophets, Ezekiel was prophesying, he was prophesying, they were prophesying the era of the Holy Spirit. The other thing that changes, church, is this, seasons, seasons. Is that okay? Changes. And I know we go through things and you can call it a season. You know, in a dry season now and all of this kind of thing. From God's perspective, there's no seasons, okay? Seasons are us. It's because of our limitations, because of what we go through. Come on, if somebody say, I don't want to go through seasons. Just, I want to be a summer season all the time, okay? Amen? And you can be. So two major things changed between Passover and Pentecost. Two major things changed. When the Spirit came, serious, listen to this. Serious limitations were removed. Serious limitations were removed. One of the things, one of the most serious was the limitation of a religious lifestyle. Could you imagine that if Jesus hadn't come and the Jewish faith was the way we should be going, that's why some people are so confused. They've got to go and try and find the Hebrew Jewish names and uh, they still wear those... Prayer shawls, you know, with the 
the strings on it. They should go the whole way and start wearing phylacteries and things like this and growing their sideburns and stuff like that. They must go the whole way. It's an insult to Christ. It's an insult to Christ. Listen, it's an insult to your parents. They, they give you a birth name and then you go and change it to a Hebrew name. Yes, I'm stirring now, eh? I'm really stirring. And I'm not against Israel. I'm not against the Jews. They need to get saved. They need to find Jesus. But he didn't come to make us a monoculture. Jesus didn't die for us to all become Jewish. Is that okay? Are you all with me? And I pray for Israel. I pray for the Jews. They need to get saved. I mean, what will their inclusion be, says the Apostle Paul. But what if they go and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, and they've already got it. I saw a documentary on the History Channel where they've already, they've studied the Old Testament scriptures, and they've already remade, except the Ark of the Covenant, remade every single utensil to start the system of worship again, the blood sacrifices of the animals, and things like that. What does that say? Come on, just think logically. What an insult is that to the cross of Jesus Christ? The lamb slain once for all at the end of the ages. He came. You can't have two systems of salvation. You can only have one. And Paul says it in Hebrews. He says, the Holy Spirit was showing that as long as the present tabernacle was, or temple was standing, the way into the Holy of Holies was still closed. And that's why when Jesus died, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, from God's side to man's side, top to bottom. But the one of the things that God wanted to expose was empty, dead religion because there wasn't even an ark inside there. Because in Jeremiah 3, God told Jeremiah to tell the people to destroy the ark. There must be nothing left of it. It's not in Ethiopia. It's not anywhere. They destroyed it. From that time, it disappears off the face of the earth. What an insult that would be. And Christians paying money to rebuild it, what does that say to the supreme sacrifice of Jesus? I don't know why I'm harping on this, but I am. Amen? And if you don't like it, still like me. Okay, still love me. Is that all right? So God hasn't got two people. He's got one people. Galatians 3. Neither slave, you know, Jew nor Greek, Syrian, Scythian, barbarian, free, male, female. We're all one in Christ. He removed the defining hostility, making one out of the two. Is that okay? So what do we become, Jews? Or do they become Christians? No, they need to become Christians. And so... I shared this once in England, and, and all the doors closed. That's why, one of the reasons why I'm excited the doors are opening again. You know? I said this once in England because it's like, Woo, you know, as soon as you say that, you're anti-Semitic, you're anti-Israel. Yeah. We had a guy in church one day came with, because I had all the flags of all the countries I preached in, different flags, you know, Zimbabwe and Wales and Armenia, and they, and they used to hang you. And a guy came and he said, you need to put the Jewish flag up. I said, for two reasons, I'm not putting the flag up. And the most important is because I've not preached there yet. Once I've preached there, I said, but I'm not putting it up for the reason that you want me to put it up. Yeah. He stormed out of the church. 
highly offended. All right, are you good? If you're not sure, study the scriptures. So two major things changed. When the Spirit came, serious limitations were removed. This is where I got to. The limitation of a religious lifestyle. We would still have to be sacrificing animals. You know, even our, it just struck me early hours this morning that even within that system, even in that system, it would be like many Pentecostal churches. Yeah. When, you know, people came to church in their suits and dresses and hats and things like this, we'd, we would judge them by their outfits. Correct. And a lot of times it was a fashion parade. Aren't you glad those days are over? Amen. You know, the size of the hat, the, you know, the feathers and all this kind of thing. Style of the shoes determine how much money you've got. And so you had to dress up better than sister so-and-so. And, uh, you know, and uh, thank you, Jesus. That's all gone. You know, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. But even within that system, if you were poor, you could just bring a pair of doves, pigeons, to be sacrificed. So just by your sacrifice, you could be judged. Oh, they're poor. They only brought pigeons. Look at this nice lamb I brought. You know, look at this nice bull, you know, or whatever. We'd be locked into a religious system that at best could only keep our consciences just a little quiet for a year until the next Passover. But it could never cleanse our conscience from unrighteousness. I mean, so if it wasn't for, you know, Passover to Pentecost, we would be locked into that religious lifestyle. So two things, or a couple of things that was introduced, and that's why I mentioned that thing about that period of 40 days was important because Jesus was transitioning them to faith. Now, very interesting, these two descriptions, these others, but there are two descriptions that really mark out and distinguish the New Testament era. And the one is the faith, in other words, faith, because it's referred to as the faith. Peter says, the faith that was delivered to you once for all. Okay? So it's the whole body of truth. The whole New Testament body of truth is called the faith. Why is it called the faith? Because it's something we need to believe. Is that okay? And it was so simple because the lowest common denominator that God could have discovered or come up with or found or introduced is faith. Because if he said salvation is by money, you can buy it. Well, you know, the rich people would buy all of it. You know, the billionaires that became rich during COVID, <laughs> you know, and our money's gone down and they've made billions more. I mean, if it was for sale, they would have bought it all up and they'd be selling shares to us. Praise God that it's not money. Because we wouldn't be able to afford that salvation that's so costly. Is that okay? Praise God that it's not by works. Because it would eliminate a lot of people. You know, it would eliminate the lazy. <laughs> because they'd be too lazy to work for it. <laughs> no, no, I'm just teasing. It would eliminate those people who are physically unable to do it. People with physical disabilities, mental disabilities, they would not be able to work sufficiently to earn their salvation. If it was intelligence, well, it would rule me out. You would all be included. It would probably rule me out. But if it was good looks, Andre would be the only one in the men. Bev, the only one with a woman. You know what I'm saying? Praise God that it's not about looks. The lowest common denominator, because a child, an old person, a sick person, a rich person, a poor person, everyone can 
believe. So he introduced faith. Isn't that awesome? And it's so simple. Everything's by faith, you know. It's by faith. Come on, listen. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, faith it. Okay? Faith it. Faith it and get out of it. I spoke to someone before, and I said, how was the week? And they said, it was a week. <laughs> so, you know, that gives me an indication maybe what your week was like. But listen, you can faith it, amen? You can faith your way through things. You know, you don't have to fake it till you make it. You can faith it till you make it, amen? And so faith is an incredible thing. But I want you to just listen to this, a few verses. Galatians 3, 23 to 26. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians. But before faith came. Everybody say faith came. Yeah. Amen. So faith came. In other words, there was a point in time where faith came. And that point in time was when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. That point in time was the period up until Pentecost. But before faith came, praise God that faith came. Because before faith came, he says, we were kept under the law, shut up, locked up, unto the faith which would afterwards be revealed. In other words, we were locked out of faith because we were in a system of works. Are you with me? And so faith had not yet come. Faith had not yet been revealed. We were shut out to faith, and we had to do, we had to perform sacrifices. We had observed every jot, every tittle, every dotting of the I, every crossing of the T of the law until faith came and faith came when Jesus came. Amen. And whoever believes in me should not perish but have everlasting life. And something changed. Come on church. And he says, the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law was a school teacher. How did it teach us? It taught us like this. Every day when we awoke, the law school teacher was present with us as a tutor. And every time we tried to do something for God, we tried to do a good work, whatever, we would fail because we could never be justified by our works, because whatever we did was not good enough. So the school teacher, the tutor, the law, was showing us, you're wrong, you're guilty, you cannot do it. Fail. And so the school master of the law led us to Jesus, to someone who said, if you just stop working, if you just put your faith in me, if you believe, you shall be saved. So the law actually led us to Christ. Bev and I were watching a snippet of the news the other day with what the Taliban are doing in Afghanistan, how they're banning the girls from going to school and getting an education. And you see the longing of these young girls wanting to be educated. And uh, it's something that they did before. And, you know, Bev looked at it and said, you know, it's just so terrible. It's so heart-wrenching. And I said to Bev words, and I, I don't mean to sound unkind, I said, let them do it. Because the Taliban will be the greatest evangelists for Jesus from this point of view. Because people will get to hate that religion just like we hated the religion that we were stuck in before we accepted Jesus. Yeah. Amen. The revival that's happening in Iran, and they say the Ayatollah Khomeini was the greatest evangelist because with his strictness and with the discipline and the executions and things like this, people began to look at it and say, 
this is not a reflection of God. This is not the God that we thought that we were serving. And many of them are turning to Jesus. Amen? And so the law is the school teacher because it's harsh, it's unkind, it's cruel, it's uncaring, it's impersonal. And it basically tells you that you're guilty, but then comes along Jesus and he says, come, take my yoke, take my burden. You know, it's easy. Isn't that right? He said, I'm compassionate, I'm full of mercy. And so we were introduced to Jesus. And so faith came, church. Faith came. Great big thing. Now, faith in itself is amazing. You know, look at um, Romans chapter 1. Oh, we were going to read verse 25. Verse 25 says, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So when faith came, we're not under the, the law anymore. Ah, this is such good stuff. This is a big sermon coming, but I'm having to discipline myself. All right, listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He says, I'm not ashamed, verse 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, the gospel, the good news, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You see, church, one of the most significant things that changed and suddenly removed limitations from us was the introduction of faith. Because in our previous lifestyles, we were so limited to a kind of a religious practice. Not only that, but we were limited as natural people because of our bondage to sin. And um, it affected all of our being. Amen? It restricted us. It's quite significant to see that ordinary believers didn't do miracles during the Old Covenant era. But ordinary believers started to do miracles in the New Testament period because sin is so restrictive. And so everything about our salvation is from faith to faith, from faith to faith, from faith in the beginning to faith in the end. The just, those who are saved, shall live by faith. Come on, we need to realize that we have to live by faith, church. Amen? That's why I say, faith it. If you're going through something, faith it. Faith it till you make it. Don't fake it till you make it. Faith it till you, you make it. Is that okay? And so we need to start to live and to walk in faith. So we're not justified by sacrifices anymore, but by faith in the finished work of Jesus. A whole lifestyle change came. Our lives changed. So Galatians, Paul says stand, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he said, Stand firm, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and don't be entangled again with the yoke of slavery. So we were set free. You might not have felt it, but you were in bondage. You were enslaved. And so... He tells us in verse 13, For brethren, you've been called to freedom, to liberty, and only use not your liberty to you know, give over to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And so we've been set free to love. In Romans 5, 1 and 2, in the NIV translation says this, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. For the first time, when we got saved, we got peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith, into this grace in which we now stand. And listen to this. He says, And we boast in the hope 
of the glory of God. It's Romans 5, 1 and 2. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, why did Paul say that? He says we've gained access by faith through Jesus Christ into this grace in which we now stand. And he says, and we rejoice in the hope or we boast in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, it's from faith to faith. And because we got saved by faith, by faith also we'll be completely transformed into the full image, the full glory of God. So faith becomes the first thing. Faith for our lifestyles, faith for our salvation. That's just amazing. Faith to relate to Jesus because he's now spirit and he's not flesh. And the other thing is faith by its very virtue has got great power. Remember when the father came concerning his son and said, you know, the devil gets hold of him and throws him sometimes into fire, sometimes into water. Disciples couldn't cast him out. And he said to Jesus, you know, if you can, could you, you know, heal my son? And he said, if I can, if I can. And then this is what he replies. If thou canst believe. It's not if I can, I can. I can. But if you can believe. If thou canst believe. All things are possible to them that believeth. Amen. So I don't know what your circumstances or what your situation is. This faith is not just for our salvation. Faith is for our entire lives. Faith is for your healing. Faith is for your finances. Faith is for your business. Faith is for everything because he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Amen. So come on, church. Let's faith it till we make it. He's given us faith. Faith has come. Isn't that right? And if you're not sure how to get this faith that has come, then we go to Romans 10, 9, and 10, you know, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouths, you know, because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith just keeps coming. Come on, church. Let's faith it till we make it. Amen. Come on. Let's believe. Faith can break natural limitations, like Peter when he walked on the water. Faith can overcome physical limitations. It's amazing. Bartimaeus was blind, but he had enough spiritual insight to find Jesus and to get healed. Amen? Amen? Faith can overcome physical limitations. Faith has got no racial limitations. Faith has got no age limitations. Faith has got no economic limitations. Faith has got no social limitations. Faith has got no religious boundaries. Amen. There can be a little old lady sitting in a Catholic church. And the moment she puts her faith in Jesus, she can be healed. Because it's not on your religion. It's down to your faith. Amen. So come on, church. We're going to faith it till we make it. The second major change that happened between Passover and Pentecost was, of course, what we're going to celebrate next Sunday is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'll tell you. I mean, that changed everything. You know, once you receive the Spirit, and us as Pentecostals and Charismatics, whatever you want to call us, is that very often we limit the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit to speaking in tongues. You know, it's a powerful gift. I love it. I love praying in tongues. It's important. We need to be doing it. But there's so much more to the receiving of the Spirit than speaking in tongues. It's to live the life. Amen. There is the fruit. There is the gifts. And then there is the gift of tongues. 
But we are to live the life. God wants us to live a supernatural life. Isn't that right? God wants us to live by the Spirit, but not only live by the Spirit, God wants us to walk by the Spirit. So God doesn't only want us to live by the Spirit. I think that's Galatians 5.25. But God wants us to walk by the Spirit. And that's also Galatians 5, somewhere from verse 22 down to 25, if you're making notes. So he wants us to walk by the Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit. But not only that, Romans 8, 14, he wants us to be led by the Spirit in the sense that we're led out of our present nature into his nature. But not only that, God wants us to be led by the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? We had an opportunity to have a few days break this week, Bev and I, together. And, and just as we were leaving, the lady, Karen, that came in to clean the house, she only found out, you know, when I said, hi, this is Pastor John, to let her know that we were leaving. She came down to get the keys. And then um, she immediately just started tidying up. We said, bye, Karen. I blessed her with some money. And then um, she said, Pastor, please will you pray for me? And I turned around and I looked and I said, no, Karen, I'll pray for you. But when I said that, I could see there was a lot of serious stuff happening in her family. And then I said, I'll pray with you. Uh, I didn't want to be late for the airport. I was a little bit disobedient. And I was turning to go. And Beth said, why don't we go and pray for Karen now? So I said, okay, let's go. I mean, as soon as I put my arms around her and I prayed, I said, Lord, I pray for Karen. I pray for her family. And as soon as I said that, she started sobbing, absolutely sobbing. We stood just a little bit of time, just praying for praying God's blessing on her and things like that. But when we walked away, I just thought, how incredibly wonderful to be filled with the Spirit, that we can be led by the Spirit, that we can just, in a matter of two minutes, touch somebody's life. Come on, church, we need to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered people. Amen. Amen. It's one of the reasons why I'm pushing you a little bit in these weeks. I don't want you to be lethargic. I don't want you to be lazy. I don't want you to come to the cold. What I want you to do is let's just press in this period of time. Let's align ourselves to the preparation season that the disciples, the apostles went through. And let's prepare. Let's begin to relate to Jesus more by the Spirit than anything else. Amen. Amen. And uh, to walk because we live We live because of the Spirit. He made us alive in Christ. Let's walk our lives out, enabled by the Holy Spirit, so we're not sinning. But then let's be used of the Holy Spirit and led of the Holy Spirit to touch people's lives. Amen? Amen. I've said it before. There's no other group of people on the face of the earth that has the power that you have. Can I say it like this? There's greatness in this room. There's miracles in this room. And they're waiting to happen. Amen. So one of the most powerful things that happened was not only when faith came, but when the Spirit came. Now, if you look at it, faith and the Spirit work together. Amen. And so they're almost synonymous. The faith and the Spirit life is synonymous. Amen. But another great thing that happened, so limitations will be removed. Because we've moved from natural to spiritual, from earthy to heavenly. We've moved out of Adam. We've moved into Christ. And the very fact of the Holy Spirit, the moment you say spirit, you remove every physical limitation. If you say the flesh or physical, you immediately speak of limitation. But the moment you say the spirit, you immediately talk about exponential potential with no limitations. Because God is spirit, and he's able to fill this whole world and this whole universe. And so your impact is limitless if you walk in the spirit. 
Amen. It's like John G. Lake getting a vision one day. He's praying, gets a vision of a person who's lost their sanities and in a mental asylum over in America. And he starts to pray and he sees the person delivered. And through a supernatural set of circumstances, a pastor comes out to South Africa visiting, relays the story how this woman was instantly delivered in the asylum. But it was because a man in South Africa had a vision in the spirit and started to pray. Amen. And saw things happening. And it happens to countless people. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, the next time you're praying in the Holy Ghost and the Lord doesn't reveal it to you, and the Lord doesn't show you, the next time you're praying in the Holy Ghost, narasta, and you're praying with intensity, God is touching someone in Yugoslavia. God is rescuing someone. Amen. God is putting someone aside. I remember during 1994 when we had that powerful move of God happening in the church and uh, Joy, Shireen's mom, was laying on the floor and, uh, and she was just caught up in the spirit and she related the story afterwards. And suddenly she was in a battle zone and um, she was laying in this battle zone behind a wall and bullets were zinging, you know, RPG-7s were being fired, shells, you know, mortar bombs were dropping and uh, she was just caught up in the spirit. And in the spirit, she ran and she found someone hiding behind another wall and, and just crying out to God. And she spoke to this person about, put your faith in Jesus, put your faith in Jesus. Joy was laying somewhere on the floor here, out under the power of God. And uh, she relays the story out. She grabbed this woman and said, let's run. And she ran with the woman to safety. And then she was out of the spirit and she was back here. And in that week, if I remember right, it was up Eritrea, Ethiopia, somewhere, Mogadishu, somewhere around there. The images came up on the news of this war, and it was the exact scene, the exact scene that she'd seen laying here. Come on, say wow, because it hasn't happened to you yet. Say wow. Say wow, because I want it to happen to me. Amen. So laying here in the spirit, God took her somewhere and helped deliver a woman crying out to God for deliverance and safety. Amen. Amen? Come on. There's no limitations to the Spirit. We can do things incredibly powerfully if we move and operate in the Holy Spirit of God. And this is one of the things that we celebrate. Now, I'm just going to close with this, and I'm going to read quickly. Are you all ready? The biggest thing, the greatest thing that changed between Pentecost and Passover and Pentecost was your mind changed, or potentially your mind changed. Because... If you don't know these things, if you don't know what you have, you'll never have it. What would be the point of God doing all of this for us, but we didn't have a mind that could fathom it, that could grasp it, that could apprehend it or comprehend it in whatever way? So God is so gracious, and it's in the New Living Translation, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Yet when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom. 
but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. Come on, everyone, say the mystery of God. What is the wisdom of God? He's the mystery of God. What is the mystery of God? It's Jesus. Amen. First of all, it's Jesus. And then there's mysteries that he unveils from him. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the rulers of this world was not the devil. The rulers of the world were the religious leaders, okay? That is what the scripture means when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. It was to us. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you don't know what heaven's going to be like because no eye has seen, no, mind, you know, no ear has heard, nor, nor has it entered in the mind of what God has prepared. He's not talking about heaven. Well, it's talking about heaven on earth. It's talking about being in Christ because he goes on to say, but he has revealed it to us by the Spirit. Come on, say he's revealing these things to me. Amen. Amen. By the Spirit. And so he says, for his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Woo! Come on, are you getting it? Come on, say, let's faith it till we make it. So no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit in the same manner. And we have, or but we have received God's spirit. Come on, church. Not the world's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. So when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom, says Paul. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. Yeah. Yes, just a side note here, and I might be interrupting the flow of the message. Just a side note from me, Pastor John, okay? That's why I'm a, a little bit, kind of a little bit against people trying to over-modernize scriptural truths using over-modern slangy words. You know what I'm saying? I know I'm all for translations in that of the Bible, but a lot of people try and get overly clever. For me, I think, just, let's just use Bible words to explain Bible truths. Yeah. This is my opinion, all right? Yeah. Okay, and I think I'm right, says, like Paul says. All right, so Paul was like me and I'm like Paul. Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. Listen to this. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolishness to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Woo! Come on, there's something, eh? I mean, that's really awesome. So listen to this. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others because natural can't evaluate spiritual. So listen as we close. For who can know the Lord's thoughts. Now the obvious answer to this, naturally speaking, would be no one. 
Who knows enough to teach it? Quoting from the Old Testament. But listen to what Paul says. But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Come on, let's just say it together. Say, I have the mind of Christ. I can know spiritual things. I can hear spiritual truths and understand them. I can hear the voice of the Spirit. I can be led by the Holy Spirit. I am a spiritual person. I cannot be evaluated by the devil, by a natural person. I can be evaluated by God only. Spiritual understands spiritual. Say, I'm a spiritual person, not a natural person. I'm from above and not from beneath. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am anointed to set captives free, open the eyes of the blind, ears of the deaf, to make cripples walk, to heal any manner of disease. I am anointed to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I am a spiritual person. All things changed. All things became new. I'm a new creature in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for Pentecost. Thank you for the Passover. Thank you for making me new. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Father, I just want to thank you right now, Lord, that we just dismiss your people with blessing in the name of the Lord Jesus. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Father, I just speak blessing over every single person. Father, I just declare right now that any sickness, any disease, any flu, any cold, Lord, together we just reach out our hands. This is a group of spiritual people doing this. Lord, not natural people. We're spiritual people. And so, Father, I want to thank you that as we reach out our hands, we release your anointing, and your power to heal. Lord, these people watching, Father, as we reach out our hands, Lord, we just say, be healed in the name of Jesus. We rebuke that COVID virus. We command it to die, fade away supernaturally quickly in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Father, we want to thank you. All those with a severe cold and flu and upper respiratory tract virus, there's quite a few right now as they're watching. Lord, we're reaching out our hands and we're speaking the words of healing and say, be healed. We send the word. We send the word, be healed by his stripes. You are healed. We send the word and we heal them right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I want to thank you, anyone present, that you just touch their bodies, just bring healing to them in the name of Jesus. And Father, any other ailment, Lord, we just touch them. And there's somebody here, um, either here or on live stream, and you're struggling with your balance. It's like your balance has gone out. There's somebody, I see that you're struggling with your balance. It's like you get dizzy very quickly, and it's like you, it seems at times that when you do certain things, you want to fall over. So, Father, I just um, speak to that sense of balance, that thing that comes from the ear. Father, and I just come on perfection right now, whether it's on live stream. Let us know if it's you and if you're watching on live stream. But right now, I speak that word of healing that your balance, your balance comes back now in the name of Jesus. Balance is restored balance, balance. It might be like a vertigo thing, but Father, I thank you for healing in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for your perfection, Lord. We can bring healing in Jesus' mighty name. We all agreed and said Amen. Amen.